Well, how many of you uh, can remember, if you want to show your age, remember the Watergate scandal? How many of you can remember that? Well, the Watergate scandal was a major political scandal that occurred in the United States in the 1970s. And following a break-in at the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, at the Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C., on June 17, 1972, and President Richard Nixon's administration attempted to cover up its involvement. So many of you that know the story, there was a bugging of offices of other politicians and all kinds of things. And, and uh, so the scandal led to the discovery of multiple abuses of power by members of Nixon's administration and, and the Nixon tapes and all that went along with that. And this affair began with the arrest of five men for the breaking and entering into the DNC headquarters. And the FBI investigated and discovered a connection between the cash found on the burglars and a slush fund used by the committee for the re-election of the president. So, so this, this is what the big thing was. And in July 1973, just for your information, I was born uh, just four months after this. So July 1973, the evidence mounted against the president's staff, including testimony of former staff members, and this, um, this investigation uh, conducted by the, the Senate Watergate Committee, it revealed that President Nixon had a tape-recorded system in his offices and that he had recorded many conversations. And so this ends with basically them forcing him to release the tapes and um, before impeachment he, he resigns. And then uh, his successor, Gerald Ford, pardoned him after he came in. So... It's a lot of uh, scandal. There's a honeymoon couple that were actually on a long-awaited trip to Washington, D.C., and they stayed in the infamous Watergate Hotel. And so when they get in there for their honeymoon, uh, the, wife, the new bride says to her husband, you know, honey, what if this place is still bugged, you know, after all these years? And so I'm sure it's not. But after she talks more about it, he, he starts thinking about it. So he starts looking behind the curtains and looks everywhere and, looks up and down all the place, and finally, the last place, he decides to pulls back the rug, and he finds this little metal disc with four screws in it. And he thinks, aha. And so he takes out his pocket knife, and he removes the four screws in the disc, and tosses out the window, thinking, okay, I, I've rid the room of being bugs. Next morning, the hotel manager comes up to their room and says, how are you enjoying your stay here? Is everything okay? Did, is there any problems? And just begins to question them. And the husband, now still suspicious, says, why are you asking me all these questions? So I just want to make sure everything's okay in your room because the people below you said their chandelier fell on them yesterday. <laughs> Watergate is a story we all know well whether you were alive during that time, born during that time, or whether you've just heard of it in history books, but it's something well known. And it all started with a man. He wasn't just any man. He was the most powerful man in the nation. He had arrived, but power, how many knows power is a dangerous thing? Tell your neighbor, power is a dangerous thing. The person at the top often feels that they're not accountable to anyone. Whether you're a pastor or you're a manager at a fast food or wherever you are, accountability is a good thing because it keeps you in check. If you don't have accountability, then it's easy for that abuse of power to begin. We're going to look a little bit into the accountability, but, but that's how Nixon's rise to fame became a story of betrayal, is 
when that powerful man of a nation, he did not feel accountable to anyone. And inevitably, the cover-up took place, and, uh, but the truth always comes out. And that's the thing about a God principle. Whether you are a uh, man of God, a woman of God, whether you know God or not, God's truth, the truth, will always find you out, whether it be now or later or in the end. This morning, we're going to take a look at a man who followed a very similar course as Richard Nixon, King David. But our real focus isn't just on King David, but on someone who God used to protect David from himself and ultimately used uh, to bring God's redemption to David. So I want, we want to talk about Nathan. Who is Nathan in the Bible? Well, Nathan was a prophet in the Bible who lived during the reign of King David in Israel. And God spoke to David through Nathan on several occasions. So this one account is the only time that we see Nathan. Nathan was a member of David's royal court and one of his closest advisors. And for a king to let someone in to be one of his closest is quite a thing to say because you think about it, there's just like the president now, the president before that, when the president before, there's always a group of people who would love to see that person disappear. Extremists. And so um, those closest advisors are people who are of the utmost trust. And Nathan apparently also knew Bathsheba, which we mentioned in the story of, of the one that, that David had his fall after, lusting after the woman Bathsheba. He knew her well enough, Nathan did, to speak to her about uh, an attempt to usurp David's throne from her son, uh, Solomon, in 1 Kings 1.11. And also to enlist her help in bringing the matter to the king. So, so Nathan was not just trusted by King David, but by Bathsheba. But there's three or four stories in the Bible featuring Nathan that occurred during some of the darkest and most emotional times in David's life. So we don't really often talk about Nathan or really hear much about Nathan. When you get to the story of King David and Bathsheba or whatever it is, it's focused on King David, but Nathan often gets forgotten. Nathan's going to be on edge back there in the booth because he's going to hear his name an awful lot today. The first mention of Nathan establishes his relationship with David as a trusted advisor. David also decides to build God a house. King David is feeling like um, because he's living in a beautiful cedar palace, thinks it's wrong that the Ark of the Covenant should be housed in the lowly tent, the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a tent. So David tells Nathan about his plans to build a house for God, to build a, 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 an extravagant temple. And, and Nathan says he should go ahead and do it because the Lord is with him in 2 Samuel 7, 2-3. Then God visits Nathan in a vision. And see, this is the great thing about Nathan. Is Nathan tells him, that's a great idea. But Nathan also is listening to God, and God goes to Nathan. Now, why doesn't God in the story go, we're not going to get too far on this, but just a little side note, why doesn't God just go to David directly, but he goes to Nathan? Maybe David's in a time where he's not listening too well to God, and so God's placed someone close to him. So then God visits Nathan in vision and tells him to return to David and to inform him that God doesn't need the king to build him a house. I don't need a house, David. Rather, God would establish David's dynasty through his son forever. 
his son Solomon would be the one to build God's house in 2 Samuel 7, 4-17. So Nathan relays this important message to the king, and David utters a grateful and beautiful prayer to God for his grace in 2 Samuel 7, 18-29. And the next time Nathan is mentioned is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and brought about her husband's death to hide her pregnancy. Now keep in mind, Bathsheba... Um, she's the innocent one here, if you will, in this. It's not that she plotted with David. David plotted, had her husband killed so they could have her. And at that point, David had made Bathsheba his wife, um, had seemingly gotten away with his sin, but the Lord knew about it and told Nathan to rebuke David. Nathan went to David and wisely told the king a fable about a rich man and a poor man. And this is the neat thing. One thing I appreciate about Nathan is, is um, seems to be a very wise man because some of us have friends who want to be our Nathan, but they don't have the best approach to it, and so we shut them out because they just go right to the point and say, you're wrong, right? They just slap us in the face with you're wrong. But, but Nathan sets him up. He says, he tells him this fable about a rich man and a poor man. He says, the rich man was visited by a traveler. So he took the poor man's only possession and a little, a little ewe lamb that he loved as a pet to feed his guest. Took his pet to feed his guest. Rather than taking a lamb from his own extensive flocks. David was enraged at the story and declared that the rich man had no pity and deserved to die. Nathan then points to David and says, 2 Samuel 12, 7, You're the man. You're that man. Nathan reveals to David that sin is like that of the rich man, that his sin, because David took away Uriah's wife. David had plenty of wives. David had plenty of opportunities, but he takes Uriah's wife. Nathan then prophesies to David in God's own words. He says, I anointed you king over Israel. This is where God starts to slap down, right? He's going through the checklist. What again? You know, he doesn't even go back to the beginning of Goliath, right? He doesn't really go back to even before Goliath and, and those times as a shepherd boy when he defeated animals. It's, it's, he starts right where he put him in power. He says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, David, if this wasn't enough for you, I mean, Saul wasn't doing what I wanted to do, and I delivered you from that situation. I kept you from Saul killing you, and I gave you all that he had. And if that's not enough, I would have given you much more. Basically, God's favor over him. He says, you know, there's, there's nothing really beyond limits as long as it's not sin. As long as you aren't acquiring it through sin. And so, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of Ammonites. Not only that, how disgusting, David. You, you have your friend killed, but no honor in that. You do it by the enemy's sword. You send him out. You don't even want to do your own dirty work, but you send him out to be killed by the enemy.
And because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And so David confesses to Nathan that he has sinned against the Lord. And Nathan comforts him saying that the Lord has forgiven his sin. Look how immediate that is. That, that after this, this slap down, David says, I've sinned. I've messed up. And, and Nathan doesn't say, just doesn't keep on saying, yeah, you're right. You know, man, you, you're in bad shape. And just go on on. He says, he, he says, nonetheless, David's child by Bathsheba was to die. And that, that's the punishment that's coming. It says that the Lord has forgiven his sin and that David's life will not be required of him. David, you're going to live, but you're still going to have to pay for that sin. There's still going to be something come of it. And David, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pins Psalm 51 after his encounter with Nathan the prophet. This is what is penned by a man, a leader, a mighty leader, a man after God's own heart, just after him being confronted by horrible sin in his life and being called out by a brother. Psalm 51. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I've violated and you've seen it all. Seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong since before I was born. What, what you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me, then conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. I'm reading from the message version, by the way. Tune me in to, to, to foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make, me a, fresh, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis weak from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from, from great exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so that the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear Lord, and I'll loose with your praise. I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned, God, worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large, including the bulls, they can have, uh, they can, they can heave onto your altar. This is David saying, basically, he's been confronted, and now it just pours out. Lord, just let me loose. I'm ready to make up for my sin. I want to go out and proclaim. Uh, you know, bless your nation. Now let me be the leader I'm supposed to be. And so after the death of David's child, his wife Bathsheba becomes pregnant again. Now here's the thing. That child that died was a product of David's sin against God. And, and, and I know it's hard for us to understand sometimes. We think of the death of a child, how horrible. That, that, that poor child did nothing 
to deserve that. But, but in God's perfect ways, that child, you know, I don't believe for a minute that God was punishing that child for what David did. But probably, most likely, rescuing that child from a life of being marked as a product of sin in David's life. Think of how David would have looked at that child the rest of his life, knowing that, that if, Saul, if, if Solomon was coming, right? If Solomon was coming, how, how would he see that son of Bathsheba compared to Solomon, who, who was God's promise to carry on what David wanted to do at the beginning to build the temple? So the Lord sent Nathan to David again, this time to say that the Lord loved his son Solomon. And they called Solomon Jedidiah, a name that means beloved of the Lord. And so Solomon later built the house of God, the temple, and became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Chronicles 3.5 reveals the fact that King David and Queen Bathsheba named one of their sons born to them in Jerusalem, Nathan. No doubt the child's name is a reflection of the, the royal couple's appreciation of the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan had done so much to help rescue David from himself that they named a child after him. And this is a product of Nathan's faithfulness and his friendship and his tough love through the years. A true friend that didn't just tell David what he wanted to hear, he told him the tough stuff. And you know, when you think back to the, the, that time that he, he saw Bathsheba, David saw Bathsheba, I mean, as a shepherd boy, I imagine many times he just went out in the night sky to look up. You know, when you're out there by yourself with a sheep, you know, there's, there's not much, there's no TV, right? Nothing to entertain yourself with there. But, but the sky would make a, a wonderful uh, uh, bit of entertainment. And so I imagine he walked out innocently enough uh, that night and looked up at the sky, and as he looked around, then his eyes caught Bathsheba, a young woman, bathing on her rooftop, and he began to desire what was not lawfully his, one of his soldier's wives. And it wasn't just any soldier. Uriah was one of David's mighty men, and undoubtedly a close friend of David's. Uriah was one of the 30 greatest fighters in all of Israel. Imagine the stir among the other 29 men. Uh, their wives might be next, right? And evidently, friendship and loyalties meant little to David. I can't imagine what this did to the, com to the, um, the um, morale of those men to see David do this. I mean, how could David fall so far so fast, coveting, theft, adultery, ending in murder? And obviously, he had been getting away from God for some time. One thing I've learned about when we fall big in our lives, it, it wasn't just a all of a sudden thing. There was many bad decisions that led up to that big fall. Many times now as a pastor, I'll sit and I can talk with someone who's going through some, some uh, bad decisions here and some bad decisions there, and they may seem small. And, and so God will fire me up and I'll speak something that the Lord gives me to their life, and it, it may seem kind of harsh to them, like, whoa, you know, boy, that was a little bit much for what I'm dealing with. What they don't realize is many times God's doing what, what God was using Nathan for, God does through others to say, look, you've got to wake up now because you don't want this to turn into something greater. I, I mean, David, it's one thing for you to be looking where you shouldn't be looking and for you to, uh, to meditate on those desires that are coming up that you should know as a man of God, a, a man with, uh, after God's own heart to know, look away, David. And so 
And so God sends those to us to, to say, look, don't, don't keep going or this could end in murder. David forgot that God is the living God and punishes the wicked. Or maybe he didn't forget, but maybe he just thought maybe this time he'd get away with it. And the immediate cause of failure is found in 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. This is a time when the kings go off to war. What is David? King, where is he at? David should have been out with all the other kings in protecting their lands, but the old proverb still holds true that says, idle hands are a devil's workshop. If David had been busy doing what David, what God had given David command over to do, he'd never gotten in trouble. And isn't that true for us? Isn't that true for us? I mean, you look at Jonah, you look at any story in the Bible where God has a purpose, a perfect purpose or plan for somebody's life, and the time that they start deciding to do something else and do what fancies them and take time and focus away from what God has obviously put before them, put them in charge of, guess where the trouble starts? I mean, you can go through scenario after scenario, and, and and listen, if you're letting the Holy Spirit speak to your life right now, then probably there's things going through your head of those things that you know that you're spending time doing that are just leading to trouble. I mean, let's pick on this silly easy one, right? I mean, if, if you know you've got that project due for work, and you're scrolling Facebook all night, and you wake up the next day and it's like, why did I do that? Why did I waste that time on the internet or or watching TV that I know I'm supposed to do that. And so you go to work the next day and the pressure's on. And then guess what you're tempted to do when the boss asks you how far along you are on the project? Yeah, lie. Well, I'm, 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 you know, I'm doing pretty well on it. Yeah, I'll have it done in time. You don't want to tell them that you are behind, right? So lie. And then what happens when the guilt comes in because you didn't do what you're supposed to and then all of a sudden your friends are like, oh, you forgot tonight is so-and-so's party or birthday party, this, that. Oh, yeah, I can't miss that. Oh, so you, you wasted that time, now you're feeling guilty. You go to that and say, okay, I'll work it out, I'll work it out. And then you get asked again at work, how's that project coming? Oh, it's coming along, right? Lie number two. You know, and at the end of that story, when people let those things happen in lives, when they know God's truth, then they end up without the job and guess who they blame? The mean boss for firing them, right? Often we don't, without the help of a Nathan in our lives, we don't see how many times that we're defying what God's, the God-given responsibility in our lives. We're going against that. We're being irresponsible. We're, we're, we're letting irresponsibility turn, irresponsibility turn into sin. The Word of God says, do everything as unto the Lord. Does that mean perfection? Do I ever procrastinate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So then comes the cover-up. David attempted to cover up his adulterous affair by sending Bathsheba back to her home that night. Nobody had known about the incident, right? But she turned up pregnant. Now earlier, I'm, I'm, I misspoke but a little bit on purpose because uh, some of you were probably thinking of it, the know God's word, but you know, Bathsheba isn't innocent. She's a married woman. 
And this tells us a little bit of a story that we don't often look at. We don't actually look at Bathsheba's responsibility, but when we have the pressure of someone who is important in our lives, how often we bend so easily on what we know is wrong because of that pressure. You know, there's been times when I worked at Walmart where a boss was, uh, was giving me the option to lie or to do something that wasn't right, and they had in their life, their personal life, got to the point where they couldn't really determine a lie from the truth because there was white lies, gray lies, green lies, red lies. They had you know, different stages. Depends on what you had to get out of or do. You know, as a pastor, there's sometimes people tell me to lie. You know, it's, it's, it's not irony, but seriously, if you guys, there's times when people don't even realize that they are telling me to lie and they don't realize they're doing it. And it tells me, how far are you slipping from God's truth that it comes so easy for you to tell your pastor to lie? How often are you being untruthful? How often do you lack integrity in your life and it's becoming so much the norm that you don't even realize when you're doing it? Well, pastor, if you got a lot to do, maybe you just need to tell those people this. But that's not the truth. Well, pastor, if, uh, if uh, you need this, you know, you need this done on the project and the guy won't get there, just tell him that you've, you've got other people that will do it or you've got whatever, you know, and, and going on, I was like, but I can't tell them that because that's not the truth. If I'm dishonest, then I know where that's going to lead. It's just going to lead down a path of destruction in my life. The devil's going to get a foothold just like David did. He started and then he kept going instead of repenting. He had to have someone else, Nathan, come to him and say, you're the guy. You're the one that's defying God. You're the one doing evil. When his efforts to get Uriah to sleep with her uh, uh, sleep with her failed because he wanted her husband then to sleep with her, his wife, right, Bathsheba, so that he could make sure that he could blame the pregnancy on her. Didn't matter if I don't know how similar David and Uriah looked like each other, but I just think it would be a little bit um, funny if there was a difference in complexion or something. But you know, he this is his plan. I'm going to make sure that since she's pregnant, we're going to make sure it, it looks kosher. But when that failed, he sent orders to his general to get Uriah killed in battle. Murder. And at the end of chapter 12, 11, 2 Samuel, it seems that this would end in repercussions for David and it appeared as though he had gotten away with his crimes, yet the final words that, of that chapter make it clear that David's troubles were far from over. In 11, verse 27, But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And you don't get away with displeasing the Lord without there being some kind of repercussion. Now, if you repent, then God is gracious. But, but how many knows there's sometimes that, that God won't undo everything we've done because when we've done it against others, there's always repercussions there. It's like if you speed and you've broken the law and you get caught, then, then God may forgive you for breaking the law when you pray, but the court date doesn't automatically disappear, right? It doesn't go away. The, the judge isn't going away, and you may still face something for that. And so 
we should never assume that just because we have not immediately been caught that we're going to get away with sin, but we should also not assume that just because we've asked for forgiveness, we're going to get away with the sin as well. So Nathan is this great influence in David's life. Nathan and David were friends, and one day they're talking, and David said, you know, it's not right that I have a nice house of cedar. And he goes on, and then we know the story, and he wants to build it, and and Nathan's given him advice, and God comes back and speaks to him and says, no, don't do that. And so all through this story, we see that Nathan is necessary for David's walk with the Lord. We, we often think that we can be an island ourselves, and someone tries to come into our life and try to speak truth in our life. We think, well, I've got the Bible, and I don't know. I, I can't trust anybody. It's just about me. But God doesn't work that way. That's the whole purpose of the church body is God wants there to be people in your life who he can speak through to you as well. You know, it's like that, that believer friend that you try to tell them something. You see something in life, you try to tell them something. Well, I'm praying about that. I'm praying about that. Well, that's good. Hopefully God will confirm it. But, but there should be a relationship in your life like a Nathan for David that you know that when they speak to you, that they're listening to God as well and that they are a good advisor. That's why me as a pastor, we have church boards or advisory teams is because left to our own as an island of ourselves, we begin to hear God's voice in everything sometimes. Or we shut God out when we want to do our own thing. Nathan predicted that none of David's current six sons would be heir to the throne but a son yet to be born in chapter 7, verse 13. And then Nathan later foretold that Solomon was God's choice as the next king in 2 Samuel 12, 25. Nathan sidetracked uh, an attempt to take the throne and assured, that, uh, assured Solomon's uh, succession to the throne. And then Nathan also assisted David in planning the musical, uh, to planning the, the musical ordinances of the temple in 2 Chronicles 29, 25. So without a doubt, Nathan was the greatest directing force in David's life and helped keep him on the throne. Many times we, we look at those who uh, God may put in our lives who, to tell us the hard things as someone who is difficult to deal with. And there's a difference between someone who is difficult to deal with and someone who is just speaking the truth in love. It's very easy for us to become like a spoiled child as one of God's children, if we've shut any other voices out from speaking into our lives. And I'm not just talking about me as your pastor. You need someone else besides me. I can't hear God for every single one of you individually for everything that you have going on in your life, but you need someone in your life who can hear for you. And often, especially the older we get, we feel more established. We feel like we know God's Word. We've been traveling along fine. We haven't got ourselves in big trouble in a long time. We're doing just great. And we think that we have arrived at a point where all we really need to do is just tread water from here on out. As long as we're going to church, as long as we're doing a little something in the church, then, then we're good with God, right? We're, we're saved, we're heading to heaven, everything's good. But the problem is, is that pride slips in so easily. Pride slips in so easily. And next thing you know, not only are we not listening to any other voice God's put around us and other people, we stop listening to God's voice. When Nathan told David that story, David quickly passed judgment upon the actions of the rich man. 
David was quick to shut down, to shut down on his sin and to his focus on his sin, but to quickly divert and focus on the sin of this imaginary traveler. Because verse 5 says David burned with anger against the man. That's an interesting thing about when we've got sin that's unrecognized or we're hiding in our lives, is we are so quick to anger about other people's injustices. This may seem like a silly analogy, but Jennifer and I had to stop by Neighborhood Market yesterday uh, on our way home. Uh, we'd had several things going on yesterday besides the footings, and so we stopped by, and she goes in for a minute, and as she's wait, as she's getting ready to come out, or when going in, you're going in, there's another car that was turning, and I was just going from the, the neighborhood market, and I was letting Jen out, and, and she was getting ready to go by, and this lady was turning, and she was starting to slow down, and there's another lady coming out with a cart, and the lady just stopped on the sidewalk, not out in front of her, to look at her receipt. And all of a sudden, I hear this horn blasting, and Jen, I didn't hear it, but apparently this lady's yelling at this lady for being stupid, for not watching when she stopped for her to let her out. She, she stopped so she could walk by, and this lady's yelling at her. And you know, for a moment, it's interesting because as I'm thinking about this message, this lady was so quick and so angry at this lady for simply stopping. She wasn't in the wrong that I realized, man, I wonder what all is going on in that lady's life. For her to be that quick to anger that she's got some serious unresolved sin or issues in her life. That's often the telltale sign that we're not dealing with the sin in our life is when we're so quick to anger about other people's, uh, other people's sin against us or perceived sin against us or injustices. And I, I would just challenge you the next time you're scrolling, those of you who get on Facebook or social media, the next time you see people, rah, 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 especially people you know as believers, rah, rah, about politics or rah, rah, about this or going off or, well, I'm just venting or I'm just doing this. When they go off that, you can pretty much know, and I'm not telling you to, to judge them or to think badly of them, but you need to pray for them because chances are that's a good sign. They have some unresolved sin in their life, things that they're hiding, things that they feel guilty about things that they're hurting about, like David did about Bathsheba, and they're very quick to throw judgment or get upset about other people's injustices because it's an awful nice diversion from her own. It's an awful nice diversion from her own. And I've been in services from time to time where a person uh, is giving a word of knowledge or revelations from God about different people in the service. I've been in places where an evangelist or someone is just all of a sudden pointing out somebody and saying, God's told me this for you. And, and I'm just sitting there saying, I'm uh, praying uh, that he won't get one about me. Lord, please just, you know, you start slumping down the seat a little bit. You're like, oh, thankful I got that big six foot seven guy in front of me. I'll just, you know, Bob sitting in front of you. So you're like, this is perfect. You know, just don't point me out. Everybody likes getting a word from the Lord because they assume it's going to be positive, but what if it's not? I'm, I'm telling you, there's a trend in Christianity right now to really love all the positive things, right? All the self-help sounding stuff. Now listen, I'm not going to pick up preachers right now, other preachers, famous ones or anything. I'm just going to tell you, think about what you feed yourself on the spiritual things outside of, and it's not just new song, but whatever your local church would be here, but before you get too excited about all these little quips that these really good speakers have, think about how many times is it pointed at you directly enough that it makes you cry. 
over your own sin? Or is it something that just makes you feel good that you're doing that thing right? Or that's an easy one, right? Don't steal. Woo, praise God. Praise God, I don't steal, so I'm good. Don't get me on lying or gossip or anything else, but stealing, I'm good. What if it wasn't positive? What if God revealed this morning the secret sins of every one of us? How many people would I still have sitting in the, the, the seats next week if someone all of a sudden got a word from the Lord from everybody and it was confronting our most recent sin? What if God put a Nathan in here this morning, or that Nathan, and, and God gave Nathan a word for everyone and it wasn't positive? How would you handle that? Now, I'm prefacing his word from the Lord, but how do you distinguish that? How do you know that? Oh, well, I would just know because I'm so close to the Lord. Oh, really? Every time you're right on the money, every time you know for sure whether it's God or not, every time you don't have to go back and pray, search God's word, search your heart, get on your knees, call to God, is this true, God? Every time? Or is it just you don't want to be told about certain things? You know, we, we talk about why isn't the church of today, why aren't the altars filled with people crying out before God and everything? It's because we don't want to be told what's wrong with us anymore. And socially acceptable to not. In fact, we are in such of an ultra-sensitive, hypersensitive culture that even those of us who have been grounded well, grew up, you know, hey, you know, take your lumps, that kind of thing. We've been so surrounded now and saturated by a culture, a social media culture and a government that says, be careful, don't hurt anybody's feelings. And we as Christians have been so, um, as we should be, focused on the grace of God, but we've taken that, that hyper grace, and turned it to a point where we are tiptoeing, walking on eggshells, afraid we'll hurt somebody's feelings and send them away from the church. When the truth of the matter is, is God delves out an awful lot of things that are hard to hear and things people will get offended about. I've had people come to me and say, I went to this church, but then someone came up to me and told me I needed to quit doing this. And, that's, and I thought, you know, I don't like to be judged, so I just came over here. I'm thinking, well, I, I pray people listen as well as they did at that church here. I don't know. I mean, no, I mean, seriously, I mean, there's a difference between just being offensive to people because you're hard to deal with, you've got a bad personality, and it needs a lot of work, and someone who actually hears from the Lord and loves you enough to say, stop it. Stop it. You know, the instance of children, when, when our boys were a little younger and we were at a, a minister's convention out of town and we are staying in a hotel that was cheaper, you know, trying to save the church money and it wasn't exactly the best hotel, and there was some working people coming out of the room next to ours, you know what I'm saying, and... Uh, wearing all the attire that would indicate these are working people and they're out there smoking and here's this person that looks really rough and we're just trying to shoo the kids this way and one of the boys turns and says, says you need to quit that smoke and it makes your lungs black. And we're like, come on. <laughs> you know, there's a guy standing at the door, the lady that we're noticing, and, you know, hand like this, you're like, what's behind the hand? You know, just get going. The truth of the matter is, is some of those things need to be said because it wasn't out of a matter of you're a terrible person. It was a matter of I'm concerned about your lungs. Brother, sister, I'm concerned about your eternity, but even at the very least, I'm just concerned about you not 
being able to find the fullness of what God wants to do in your life because you're, you're straying in these areas. There's areas you need to work on. And, and look, be ready if you're that person and God's... Do you think Nathan, in this story, do you think Nathan was perfect? Who is Nathan's Nathan? Who is Nathan's Nathan's Nathan? Right? See, we, we put up a wall because we're like, I don't want to be Nathan. I don't want to be. We got a church full of people a lot of times. I'm not saying just here. We've got a church culture where everybody is thinking they're the Nathan and nobody's the David. Everybody has a word from the Lord for somebody or a word from the Lord. Just, it's really just something we want to tell them disguised as a word from the Lord, right? I really think they need to know to not be wearing that color. I really think they need to know not to wear that skirt, not to wear the, that shirt, whatever it is. I've got a word of, from the Lord for them. Everybody wants to be the Nathan. Nobody wants to be a David. And listen, I've said this many times. I had a prayer I prayed when I was 14 years old. And if I'd known the gravity was I was praying, I may not have prayed it. God, make me a David of today. Because I'm thinking about the good stuff about David. A man after his own heart. Make me a Daniel of today. Make me a this. Make me a that. And, and what I didn't realize in praying is all those guys had major failures. And they had to learn through the heat of the trials and stuff. And they had strong people God put around them to speak into their life. And God did answer that prayer. Because I failed in many of those same areas, but God also put people in my life who would speak the truth in love. Not just my parents, Pastor Jim, others. I could go down the list. Brother Brugman from CBC, in one of my worst times of my life, one of the hardest times of my life, put, my hand, put his hand on my shoulder and said, CJ, don't let this destroy you. God can still make a lot out of your life. Don't let this destroy you. And, and so there's those people that God puts those Nathans in our life. And listen, you need to be willing to be the David because there's a sweetness in being able to be David because it's not just all about Bathsheba. It's also about Goliath. It's also about the lions, the tigers, and the bears and those things that he lets you rip apart by the power he's given you by your bare hands. Those victories along with the failures. There's some characteristics of a Nathan. And Nathan loves us, concerned as a friend, really more like a family member, concerned. You know, brothers and sisters in a family unit can fight like they hate each other. They, they can get so angry at each other over a toy or over just a, a crossword or whatever, but when an attack comes from the outside, they're so protective, so loving. I'll never forget uh, the time that we thought we lost Colton at the Diamond Mines and it had been 45 minutes and they were about to bring search parties and we were scared to death. And people were clearing out and it was at the end of the day and there's, th there's thousands of wooded acres around there where he wasn't in the open area and nobody could find him. The only two options are he's lost out in the woods or someone's taken him. And as we began to run around that place, I saw the look on his brother's face when, when he thought he was lost. And I saw the look on his face when he thought he was found, or when he finally was found. And there wasn't a lot of difference in the look. Because he was not only concerned for losing him, but when he came back, that concern was, I never want that to happen again. Second, Nathan prays for us 
wisely. Prays for us wisely. What do I mean by that? Oh, Lord, bless them. Oh, Lord, I, I just help them get that job. Or, Lord, I pray that you shape and mold them. Lord, even through the trials that you bring them through. God, I pray that only not only your blessings, but you will, you will let them learn the lessons that will prepare them for bigger things. God, that the horizons will keep rising for them because your, your challenges are never ending for them. Why would you pray that for someone? Because that's how God works through the people we see that he wrote about in his word. He doesn't just bless them and there's never any trials. And listen, we've got to really get to the place where, you know, I get it. We want our brothers and sisters of Christ to pray for us because of the sickness or the ailment or the loss of a job or anything. But listen, if that's your only conversation you have with your brothers and sisters of Christ is about a need, you're missing out on 80% of the blessing of being a follower of Christ. Because there's nothing like rejoicing with a brother and sister of Christ about all the goodness of God and what he's done in your life. But how often is that prevalent in our minds? See, a Nathan was willing to say, you go, man, go build that temple. Oh, wait a minute, God told me, no, don't do that. Hey, man, you're messing up. I know, I'm repenting. Hey, man, God is still going to have to, there's going to be some punishment coming, but the good news is you're going to have a son that's going to do awesome things. And he, you may lose a son, but God's going to give you another one, and, and this one's going to go on to be a great king. And Nathan hears from God. And Nathan risks friendship for welfare. He risks your friendship if it means that it will save you from yourself. And Nathan is candid, honest, and, and bold in his obedience. Nathan tells you, and here's some things, that you don't have to initially write these down, but these are just some little things. And Nathan tells you when you have broccoli between your teeth. And Nathan tells you when your breath smells bad. Or your mascara has run. Or when your zipper's down. And Nathan covers for you, he takes up for you, he'll fight for you if necessary. He or she has your back. Nathan confronts you when you're making bad decisions, but Nathan also offers godly advice in those times and doesn't just leave you hanging. And Nathan speaks of God's great dreams for you. They dream for you. Not, not that you can't have your own dreams that God's given you, but they dream for you. Do you have that person in your life that's like, man, I just can't wait to see them stand behind a pulpit preaching the Word of God. I, I can't wait to see them on the mission field. I can't wait till I see all their family saved and whole and together. I can't wait for them to see them get through that family drama where they finally have some peace in their home. And they dream for you. They don't go home and just vent and say, man, I can't believe they've done that. Boy, that family's always going to have this going on. That family's all going to do that. I hear talk like that sometimes. I'm thinking, are you a true believer of Christ? Because you're speaking death over every relationship around you. You're, you're picking on every negative thing you can on everyone you know. You're, you're, you're bringing out the dirt on people and you're candy coating at the end with saying, oh, well, hopefully they'll learn. Or are you dreaming for them? Are you being a Nathan for them? Nathans inspire you to attempt great things for God. You go for it, man. God's telling you, you think God's telling you to build that temple? Go for it. Unless I hear different from God, I'm going to be right there behind you. 
Nathan see the true condition of society and its destructive effects on people. And Nathans are like uh, Jeremiah the prophet who said he would not speak again for the Lord, but God's word within him was like a burning fire in him so that he could not hold it in. And there's times when, you know what, I really feel like I should say something to somebody. I'm thinking, but that's gonna, how are they going to take that God? What are they going to do with that? What if they leave the church? What, what if they don't want to be my friend anymore? You know, I'm human. I look at people in these uh, seats as my friends. And so, you know, it's hard when you think you might lose a friend over it. But, but I know that they need to hear it. As a result of that boldness, they're known to cry out in public to confront people in private. The, the only thing they cannot do is ignore sin. A real Nathan can't ignore the sin. In Proverbs 27, 5, 6, and 9, here's, here's a good Nathan scripture. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faith are, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs up his earnest counsel. You know, and here's the thing about, about friends who will, who will bring negativity to your life. If they get you involved in, in gossip, you think, boy, this is nice. They are looking out for me because, because they see the same thing with that person that I see. But you know what they say about someone who will talk bad about others to you? Guess what they do when you're not around? Guess what they're doing with that tongue when you're not there? Because they have an opinion on everybody, including you. They just think if they don't say it there, they'll have freedom to say it somewhere else and it doesn't affect you. I was talking to someone recently who, who grew up around this area and, and they were talking about their, <clears throat> their family being you know, fairly large in the area. And, uh, and they said, you know, I hear, I hear all these negative things about this family member of mine all the time from everybody. I hear them from everybody. And the thing is, is most people when they're, they're talking about this, they don't realize how many relatives we have and how many times they're probably telling the cousin or they're telling the, the uncle or they're telling the aunt or they're telling somebody or they're, they're telling somebody somebody, right? Because that's how it works when we get focused on, on working against others and speaking death over others. We just, it becomes an addiction and we do it without thinking about the impact. The church as a whole, each and every one of us, is in need of some Nathans. All of us need a friend in whom we can confide, who, who's completely honest with us, so that we can have a relationship that brings us into accountability. And there's been many sermons where I've hinted about this. It's been a little, kind of a little capsule in a, in a message. And as I begin to prepare for this, I realize we need to understand who we're looking for in our life, and Nathan is a one that we can look to. That way, if we need a rebuke or a word of correction, your Nathan is there to give it. Let me tell you something. People don't always really receive it that well from their pastor because it's usually a big, hairy deal when I get involved. Because usually I didn't come looking for it. Someone came to get me into it. And you're doing yourself a big favor, a God-sized favor, when you find and pray for a Nathan in your life. You can't just go out and seek the Nathan out. I'm not sure how David really found Nathan, how Nathan really got into his position. I don't know all the details. I don't know every conversation, every relationship, how he got there. But I'm telling you that if God provided David a Nathan, 
God loves you the same as He did David, and He'll provide you your Nathan. But you need to ask Him for it. You need to ask Him for that Nathan. And listen, if that, that, there's no desire in you to have a Nathan, I'm good, then you need your Nathan. Because we all want to be, we all want to be the Nathan. But sometimes we have to realize we're really David. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for today and for this message from your word that Lord has confronted me and everyone in this place that God if we don't have anyone who is allowed to speak freely Lord we know that when you when you place them God it may hurt but we recognize as truth because we know that person is a cheerleader for us God they they want to see us succeed they dream that we do well they hope that we do well they dream for us that that will, they'll see us do great things in you and so we know that their heart is in the right spot that they really want us to succeed but but Lord, we have to be mature enough to accept when they say, you've got it all wrong. Or you're heading down a bad path. Or the Lord has spoken to me and told me to tell you, you're that person who is doing evil. You're pointing your finger at others who are doing wrong, but you're that person. And God loves you and He wants to bless you, but He can't because you're not willing to receive correction. You're not willing to turn from your sin before it gets too far, and then, and then you're not willing to receive correction. David, fortunately, thank the Lord that David immediately accepted Nathan's counsel and said, I've sinned. And he writes Psalm 51 in this heart just overwhelming and overflowing. Can you imagine the pressure David had carrying that sin about Bathsheba and about the pregnancy? Can you imagine in his position with all eyes on him, with everyone looking to him to be the perfect one, that he had this grotesque sin in his life and the murder, the, the, the seriousness of all that, and, and knowing in God's eyes how much he had failed. That, but the freedom that when he repented, that came out in Psalm 51, that billowed out of his soul, that I, I want more, I would rather have the rebuke than the kisses of my enemy. Jesus, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit do work in us, that Lord, well, first of all, Lord, that we're not believing that right now there's going to be a bunch of Nathans walk through the door and sit by us and introduce themselves, but God, that once we recognize from your word that we need that in our lives, that Lord, right now the conversations are happening with you, asking that you bring that Nathan into their life. Lord, I'm thankful that you've given me other pastors who are my Nathans. That God, you've given me an advisory team who, who act as my Nathan. Lord, you've given me a Nathan that's my Nathan. Lord, we just pray that each one of us, as we strive to be healthy in our relationship with you, that we strive to be maturing in you. Lord, as we strive to do greater and greater things, to, Lord, for you to be so proud of all the things that we're accomplishing for you, Lord, that's not about works, but God, it's about loving you enough to do the work. But God, we're not too big to receive correction. We're not too big to have someone be able to speak even the hard things in our life. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I love you. I just want to give you a couple more minutes just for you to respond without me speaking. I just want you to respond 
with the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Just take a few minutes. Jesus, we thank you today as we go out with this word. Let it bury in our hearts. God, your word doesn't return void. Lord, let us let our will be crushed, Lord, that we may be able to receive. Lord, that we would not be distracted. But God, as this week goes on, as this word pours through us, that, Lord, we begin to let our eyes be open to our need for that Nathan in our lives. And God, that when you send them, that, Lord, we recognize them for who they are. And God, that we give you thanks and praise when they come. And Lord, that first word of correction that may have to come, Lord, that we praise you and give you thanks for it because you have sent someone to help us save ourselves from ourselves and from the attempts of the enemy to destroy us. We give you all honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Have a blessed Sunday. I'm sorry we had to postpone the first Sunday fellowship, but it would be better in the park. Love you. God bless you. See you soon.